0: Are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, January twentieth. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Atmosphere Design Build, a full-service architecture and construction firm creating distinctively modern, high-performance buildings throughout California specializing in energy-efficient, healthy, net-zero energy homes for a low-carbon future. AtmosphereDesignBuild.com And Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. FOURPawsAC.com Before we begin our newscast, we at KVMR would like to thank longtime donor Jim Lewis for his generosity. Jim has pledged to match up to $10,000. That means that with your help, KVMR has the opportunity to raise $20,000 in much-needed funding. Your donation celebrates inclusivity and communication and helps ensure that we can continue to keep you informed. Whether we're covering wildfires, public safety power outages, or local COVID-19 news, KVMR, Nevada County's official emergency broadcast station, is here for you. Help us meet our goal. Donate securely online at kvmr.org. Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, Paul Emery speaks with Diana Gamzon, Executive Director of the Cannabis Alliance. We bring you today's National Native News. NPR reports that the legacy of President Trump's travel ban will be hard for President Biden to erase. Groups are floored by President Biden's new immigration proposal. The Public News Service has the story. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with the commentary. At 6.30, we bring you The Sages Among Us. And at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines and regional weather.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. In one of his first official acts as president, Joe Biden took part in a ceremony honoring the nation's war dead at Arlington National Cemetery today. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Biden was joined by three of the five living former presidents.
2: President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris took part in a wreath-laying ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, a solemn tradition which honors service members who have died in the line of duty. They were joined by former Presidents Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush. Biden made the sign of the cross before saluting. Biden is expected to make the care of veterans and military families a focal point of his administration. He's also planning to reverse a Trump administration-era ban on transgender people serving openly in the military. Windsor Johnston NPR News.
1: Hours before Biden was sworn in as the nation's 46th president and as Donald Trump was exiting the White House headed to Florida, a presidential transition team was hard at work getting things set up at the nation's for the nation's new leader. Biden staffers have begun moving in and unpacking belongings in their new offices at the White House. New White House press secretary Jen Psaki in a message on Twitter today said she was in the building and ready to get to work. Psaki in a major departure from the infrequent briefings by the previous administration is already scheduled to a press briefing for this evening. Crowds could not gather on the mall to watch President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris be sworn in today so people gathered elsewhere in D.C. MPR's Daniel Kurtzleben reports today from the city's Black Lives Matter Plaza.
3: Just a couple blocks
2: north of the White House, the plaza has become a place where people in D.C. regularly gather both to protest and celebrate. As President Biden addressed the nation from outside the Capitol, the crowd clustered around a speaker on the downtown plaza and cheered. Despite COVID and security concerns, people came from across the country and even outside the U.S. to witness this inauguration. Leah Shank made the trip from California. This is the first day of change is what we're looking
0: for. So this is huge. We had to be here. You know, what we've seen for the last four years, that's not America.
2: Heavy security was in place across downtown D.C., including around the plaza in the wake of the riot at the U.S. Capitol two weeks ago. Danielle Kurtzleben, NPR News.
4: While
1: President Biden's inauguration differed substantially from those in the past due to the coronavirus pandemic, much of Washington, D.C. also has the look of an armed camp. After the violent storming of the U.S. Capitol two weeks ago by supporters of former President Trump, who refused to accept election results, upwards of 25,000 National Guard troops are in Washington keeping watch over today's inaugural events. On Wall Street, stocks rallied to new highs. The Dow up 257 points. The Nasdaq rose 260 points today. You're listening to NPR. Just moments after Joe Biden was sworn in as president, China announced sanctions on more than two dozen Trump administration officials, labeling them anti-China politicians. As NPR's John Ruich reports, the move appears to have been timed to make a point without provoking Trump.
5: On Beijing's list are several former cabinet members. They include outgoing Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. The foreign ministry says China is barring a total of 28 Americans and their families from traveling to China, Hong Kong and Macau. It is also restricting them from doing business with China. The Trump administration hardened its policy toward China during its final year, sanctioning Chinese officials over things like human rights and labeling China as America's biggest strategic threat. The Chinese foreign ministry says the people it's sanctioning were mainly responsible and that they acted out of selfish political interests, prejudice and hatred against China. John Riewich, NPR News.
1: Frustration is mounting in Europe and North America over reduced shipments of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine as the U.S. pharmaceutical maker increases production capacity to plant in Belgium. Pfizer announced it was cutting back on shipments while it does the work, though some governments are accusing the company of costing critical time during the early stages of rolling out vaccinations in elder care facilities and to frontline workers, including hospital personnel. Leader of Canada's most populous province and a top EU leader were both critical of the company's decision. Pfizer says the upgrade will boost production to 2 billion doses this year instead of 1.3 billion. Crude oil futures prices gain ground. Oil up 30 cents a barrel to close at 53.28 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News.
0: Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 36 Thursday, we'll see increasing clouds with a high near 56, and on Thursday night, there is a 30% chance of rain, otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 36. Tonight in Sacramento, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 37. Thursday will be mostly sunny with a high near 62, and mostly cloudy skies overnight with a low around 43. Tonight in Truckee, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 23. Thursday will be mostly sunny with a high near 45, and Thursday night there is a 30% chance of snow, otherwise partly cloudy skies with a low around 23. And tonight in Angels Camp will be mostly clear with a low around 39. Thursday will be mostly sunny with a high near 60, and a low around 39 with mostly cloudy skies.
6: speaking with Diana Gamzon. She's executive director of the Cannabis Alliance in Nevada City. And it's been a little while since we've talked. So I thought we'd just get together and and you can give us some updates about what's going on in the world of legal cannabis.
7: Great. Uh, Thanks for having me, Paul.
6: Yeah. You know, uh, I've been watching the paper and let's start with what's happening with uh, with our cities, you know, with Grass Valley and Nevada City. There's been some things that have been talked about. Let's start with Nevada City, some big changes coming there.
7: Yeah, at the last city council meeting last Wednesday, the council directed staff to start updating the ordinance to allow for indoor cannabis cultivation in some of the light industrial zoning, manufacturing zoning.
6: So what does that mean? Does this mean that uh, like people can... Like rent a warehouse and do some indoor growing in a in a place like that
7: correct so it would be for indoor commercial cultivation and there are well Nevada city is small there are some areas where it would be well suited and um, we see this as a really big benefit to both the city and the community by adding a an additional element of the supply chain which is going to be increasing jobs as well as we'll add to the tax base that has already reached over a million dollars in Nevada City um, it will add to that tax base
6: and I understand there's been virtually no complaints about the uh, the the one retail outlet in town
7: not at all the Nevada City has really done a superb job and the Nevada City businesses the cannabis businesses that have been operating have been um, really welcomed and yeah there are no complaints because besides retail nothing else is public facing so you don't even know they're there.
6: How about Grass Valley? You hear rumblings of things happening there.
7: Yes, um, we are very excited to see Grass Valley uh start to build their order uh, or um, start to move towards um, allowing for a dispensary by um, starting the process for a selection committee, which will actually um, a group of three to four individuals will be responsible for selecting the first dispensary for Grass Valley. And so we're just watching that process and are excited to uh, see the industry expand.
6: I know that uh, on the last election, two new city council uh, members were put in and and during the uh during the election forums which I represented KVMR I did ask the question what is your opinion about cannabis all of them said we should start having legal cannabis sales in Grass Valley all the candidates not just one group or another group so that's a big change
7: big change and we're we're just so excited to see that as a whole our community has been able to um, turn the page on what a professional um, legal cannabis industry looks like, one that we actually can be proud of, one that we can set an example for other small rural communities of how to do it right.
6: And of course, they're looking at the sales tax revenue as well, and Nevada City has done pretty well. So I think they're looking to get part of the action there.
7: Absolutely. Be smart.
6: So, um, what about the county? Now, the county's been, what, this is the third year of legal growing coming up? Is that is that correct? Or is that... It
7: was May 2019 when so, the ordinance passed. So it's
6: been two full years. Exactly. Of, mm-hmm. uh, and um, how are things going with the county?
7: Things are going great with the county. We've built some, some really great relationships so that we can continue working on um, process improvements, how we can best uh, work together to encourage additional farmers in um, collaborating on educational opportunities opportunities the biggest update from the county is that at the supervisors meeting last tuesday the in a unanimous vote the board of supervisors voted to put a prohibition a ban on the cultivation of industrial hemp and this is something that the the reasoning that our county leadership gave for this is it was it was a couple reasons. Um, the first one is that we lack state regulations um, from the state of California, so you know things are a little bit in flux right now. But also, cannabis and hemp are the exact same plant, and sometimes people forget that. And because they're the same plant, there are issues with cross-pollination between male hemp plants and female cannabis plants. So this industry that we've been building for the past several years, um, if we were to allow industrial hemp, there could be a significant threat to the cannabis industry with cross-pollination. And the other thing that comes up when you're when we have the same plan is enforcement issues, and that was something that several of the supervisors spoke to: is um, how we would how the county would enforce for a crop that was legal, illegal, but also now a federal uh, ag crop. So um, a little some some complexities in there. So we we feel happy, and ultimately the unanimous sort of voice from the supervisors was: is let's you know we we've prioritized cannabis. Let's do it. Let's get it right.
6: Yeah, I'm not very compatible with, of course, growers trying to keep the female plants from being pollinated, and then hemp just grows like uh, weeds. <laughs> and uh, I think. Uh, uh, it's good that the county understood that and realized the damage that it does to the legal industry.
7: Well, and thankfully, we have examples from the state of Oregon, which was not as uh, cautious as, as our leadership was. And there was hemp and cannabis allowed to be grown right next to each other without regulations. And it created all sorts of lawsuits, complaints, as well as just um, you know completely destroyed um, areas where there was cannabis cultivation
6: now we're sitting in january right now now what is the timeline for new people that might want to get into cultivation maybe this season is there time to do that is there time for them to get a legal permit and actually get crops in the ground
7: well we are we always tell people start the process very early and you really want to get your applications in before the end of the year um, preferably getting them in in the fall so we are definitely for people that are seeking a cultivation permit and the ability to plant by the spring we're cutting it really close it is possible but um, we're, we're at that time frame where really people must be getting their applications in by the end of this month by and by the end of February to really have a uh, an opportunity to plant by the spring, and the reason for that is it can take about anywhere from four months up to a year or more, depending on what your um, operation is going to look like and what your garden plans are.
6: So it's a little late, but if they get on it right away, there might be a possibility.
7: Call the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance or, or the County of Nevada Cannabis Division, and we'll, we'll do our best to help you.
6: That's about all the time we have. but well, we covered a lot of territory.
7: Thanks for having me, Paul.
6: Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Diana Gamazon. She is the executive director of the Cannabis Alliance in Nevada City.
2: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Joe Biden is expected to revoke the Trump administration's permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Sources say that could happen as early as Wednesday as Biden takes office as president of the United States. A Cheyenne River woman who has fought against South Dakota permits for years says she hopes this time the pipeline project will die. Victoria Wicks has this report.
8: Elizabeth Loneagle's fight against the Keystone XL pipeline has been prolonged and personal. Now she believes Joe Biden will bring an end to that battle.
3: If it actually happens, uh, we'll be dancing for joy and uh, trying to see when we can uh, plan a party. Can't do it during a pandemic, but you know.
8: The Cheyenne River woman has testified in opposition to the pipeline many times before South Dakota regulatory boards. Although disappointed, she has not been surprised by the state's granting of permits. But she has been discouraged by the on-again, off-again nature of the presidential permit. She calls Keystone XL a zombie pipeline because it keeps coming back from the dead. Lone Eagle says the years of doing battle have led to insecurity, a sense that she and her family are not safe. But she says tribal traditions and beliefs have supported her.
3: As uh, tribal people, you know, in our way, our traditional spiritual beliefs are uh, the pipe.
8: Lone Eagle refers to the Chunumpa, the sacred ceremonial pipe. She tells of an exchange between the late Deborah Whiteplume, another water protector, and Canadian tar sands promoters.
3: One of the things that she said in a, a meeting they were trying to have, she told them that our pipes are stronger than your pipes.
8: The Keystone XL pipeline is still tied up in lawsuits in Montana and Nebraska. Even so, TransCanada has already laid pipe across the U.S. Canada border. Elizabeth Lone Eagle hopes this latest presidential proclamation will make that border crossing moot. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota.
2: The tribal agenda for the Biden administration includes a number of other priorities, from COVID-19 recovery, sacred site protection, education, health care, to economic development. Biden-Harris campaign promises ensure tribes have a seat at the table. Reinstating the annual White House tribal gathering, defending the Indian Child Welfare Act, addressing climate change and violence against women, and a long list of other campaign promises. Tribal leaders across the country are also backing Biden's pick for a Native American to lead the Interior Department. Congresswoman Deb Holland from New Mexico. Tribes across the country took part in the nationwide COVID 19 Memorial Tuesday, which was part of inaugural events. Tribal memorials were held in conjunction with the ceremony in Washington, D.C. to remember lives lost due to COVID-19. The Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma illuminated tribal facilities. Tribal groups in Montana took part in lighting a teepee. And the Oglala Sioux Tribe in South Dakota also illuminated a teepee. Vice President Alicia Mousseau spoke during the event streamed online for the community.
8: We feel the impact of each and every one of the lives lost from the COVID-19 virus. Because each and every one of our people who have passed away are an integral piece of who we are as a community and as the Oglala Lakota Nation. So today, I want us to remember them through our breath. Nia, remember to breathe. When we take air into our lungs, into our
2: bodies, into our lives, into our communities, Make each and every breath a healing breath. Tribes have been hit hard by COVID-19, feeling impacts of losing elders, their language and culture bearers, as tribes work on their COVID-19 vaccination plans. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
1: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: President-elect Joe Biden is expected to sign a bunch of executive orders when he takes office tomorrow, including one rolling back the so-called travel ban on immigrants from majority Muslim countries. But that policy's legacy won't be easy to erase. Here's NPR's Joel Rose.
5: After fleeing civil war in Syria... Haitham Dalati and his wife made it to the U.S. in early 2017. They hoped their daughter and her family would soon follow. But when I talked to Haitham Dalati a year later, the rest of the family was still stuck in Lebanon. This is so horrible for us. So I don't know now whether America is good or bad. Dalati and his wife got into the U.S. during a brief window when the first version of President Trump's travel ban was put on hold. In the months that followed, legal battles raged until the Supreme Court ultimately upheld a slimmed-down version of the ban. It wasn't until November of last year, though, that Dalati's daughter, son-in-law, and four grandchildren were finally allowed in as refugees.
6: <laughs>
5: the family hugged and wept at the airport gate in Pennsylvania. When we spoke again this month, Delati said he sees America with new eyes.
3: Much better than
1: before. When my daughter is with me with her children and husband, really, it's another America.
5: Now, tens of thousands of families are hoping for similar reunions. Legally, experts say it should be easy for President-elect Biden to end the travel ban on day one, as he's promised. The policy was created by executive order, and it can be reversed much the same way. But immigrant advocates say the hard work is still ahead.
2: It's not just what they can do with the stroke of the pen. As important as that is, it's just simply step one.
5: Avideh Mousavian is with the National Immigration Law Center, one of many nonprofit organizations that have fought what they deride as the Muslim ban. Mousavian says the Biden administration needs to assure immigrants that they will be treated fairly and that immigrants who've been rejected for visas and green cards under the travel ban should get another chance. People like Pamela Ragabi.
3: I miss him. I need those arms holding me tight. Making me laugh.
5: Ragabi has been separated from her husband for more than two years. Her husband, Afshin Ragabi, was born in Iran and lived in the U.S. illegally for years. They met in Seattle, where she lives as a U.S. citizen. After they got married, he applied for a green card, but his application was denied.
3: At that point, we, we were devastated.
5: Under the rules, Ragabi's husband had to fly to Abu Dhabi for an interview at the U.S. consulate. They knew it was risky because of the travel ban, but she says they were trying to do the right thing. Now, he's stuck overseas. It's an insult, but we will keep trying. Immigration hardliners, though, say it would be a mistake to end the travel ban completely. Jessica Vaughn is with the Center for Immigration Studies, which advocates for lower levels of immigration. She says the travel ban puts pressure on foreign governments in countries like Iran, Syria and Libya to improve their own security vetting for travelers to the U.S.
0: The burden should be on these countries to show that their systems are adequate and their situations haven't changed all that much.
5: But even some national security experts say banning all travelers from a country wasn't the answer. It just fueled a narrative that the U.S. discriminates against Muslims. Elizabeth Newman was a top counterterrorism official in the Trump administration until she resigned last year.
8: These bans damaged our nation's reputation. They were an unnecessary distraction from the actual security enhancements that were needed.
5: Newman says the travel ban tarnished the U.S.'s image around the world. One more part of the band's legacy she hopes the Biden administration will begin to undo. Joel Rose, NPR News, Washington.
3: On his first day in office, President-elect Joe Biden is pressing for bold immigration reform, proposing a path to citizenship for an estimated 11 million undocumented immigrants. It would apply to people who have a clean criminal record and were in the U.S. before January 1st. If approved, this would be the first so-called mass legalization since 1986 during the Reagan administration. Carlos Guevara with the group Unidos U.S. says there's a lot of pent-up demand for change in the immigration system.
1: We're pleased and frankly floored a little bit by how visionary this bill appears to be. The path to citizenship of eight years, that is the fastest that we have ever seen.
3: California is home to 2 million undocumented immigrants, 200,000 DACA recipients, and 55,000 people who hold temporary protected status, all of whom could benefit from the Biden proposal. Opponents say it amounts to amnesty for people who have broken U.S. immigration laws. Cynthia Buiza with the California Immigrant Policy Center describes herself as cautiously optimistic about the bill's potential. She notes the Biden administration has so many crises to attend to and his party only has a slim majority in the Senate. We're all for it, but we want a level of seriousness, the political will, because you need to get this policy in Congress. The proposal would also make everyone eligible for COVID vaccinations, regardless of immigration status. It would make more people in mixed-status families eligible for pandemic relief and would implement job protections in industries that employ a lot of immigrant workers. For Public News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter.
4: The ransacking and terrorizing of Congress by violent trumpeteers is an outrage, right? Even Republican congressional leaders have rushed to assail the mob invasion, calling it a desecration of America's democratic ideals. For example, the GOP Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, denounced the invading outsiders as thugs, lecturing that self-government, quote, requires a shared commitment to truth and shared respect for the ground rules of our system. But wait, what about the insider mob? the lawmakers who routinely run roughshod over our ideals of equality and justice. So many of the pious members who are now so prissily crying out for decorum and respect for the process openly solicit special interest cash to do favors for the donors while ignoring the basic needs of work day people they supposedly represent. Excuse me, Mitch, but for the past four years, weren't you Trump's most destructive Machiavellian monkey-wrencher in Congress? Yes, you were relentlessly stomping on truth and rigging legislative ground rules to ram his plutocratic autocratic agenda into law. You even stoked his depraved narcissism. For weeks after it was clear that Joe Biden had won the presidency, you cynically fed Trump's fantasy that he had won, helping spread a furious disunity across America. The mob that you deplore for rampaging into your inner sanctum of power and privilege is of your own making. They're your angry political chickens coming home to roost. It's a scream and a disgrace to see not only McConnell, but also self-aggrandizing icks like Ted Cruz, now posing as righteous statesman. Cruz unctuously proclaimed, we must come together and put this anger and division behind us. This is Jim Hightower saying, so let's also shine the light of justice on the mob of insider elites who so selfishly continue desecrating American democracy. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. The ransacking and terrorizing of Congress by violent trumpeteers is an outrage, right? Right. Even Republican congressional leaders have rushed to assail the mob invasion, calling it a desecration of America's democratic ideals. For example, the GOP Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, denounced the invading outsiders as thugs, lecturing that self-government, quote, requires a shared commitment to truth and shared respect for the ground rules of our system. But wait, what about the insider mob? the lawmakers who routinely run roughshod over our ideals of equality and justice. So many of the pious members who are now so prissily crying out for decorum and respect for the process openly solicit special interest cash to do favors for the donors while ignoring the basic needs of work people they supposedly represent. Excuse me, Mitch, but for the past four years, weren't you Trump's most destructive Machiavellian monkey-wrencher in Congress? Yes, you were relentlessly stomping on truth and rigging legislative ground rules to ram his plutocratic-autocratic agenda into law. You even stoked his depraved narcissism. For weeks after it was clear that Joe Biden had won the presidency, you cynically fed Trump's fantasy that he had won, helping spread a furious disunity across America. The mob that you deplore for rampaging into your inner sanctum of power and privilege is of your own making. They're your angry political chickens coming home to roost. It's a scream and a disgrace to see not only McConnell but also self-aggrandizing X like Ted Cruz now posing as righteous statesmen. Cruz unctuously proclaimed, "We must come together and put this anger and division behind us." This is Jim Hightower saying, so let's also shine the light of justice on the mob of insider elites who so selfishly continue desecrating American democracy. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org.
0: That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we bring you the sages among us and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions and the KVMR News team, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.